are your nose hairs more naturally curly than mine maybe oh you know i don't know i mean i i do get them permed (laughs) (laughs) welcome to curious church podcast we're back that that welcome was like uh, a Gandalf the Grey, <laughs> like welcome. What are you saying, Gandalf the Grey? What does that even mean? That's uh, from Lord of the Rings. Uh, I know. Aaron, come on. But how gray am I really? Well, I mean, it's I'm not on my way. You're gray. It's just that that's that's him as a wizard. It was a it was a wizened wizard welcoming people into into his home, and there's a roaring fire in the hearth. There's some mead and a nice. Freshly baked loaf of bread Some, on the on the table. Some mead sounds good. Uh, we are, um, we're just going to catch up a little bit. I think. Um, Great, Matt. I think you should tell me what's new in your life. Wait, what is? I know we're going to do a segment later. Yeah, but what is the your the best thing that happened to you in the past seven days? Oh goodness. Well, we're recording on a Tuesday, so that takes me back to last Tuesday. That's right. That's seven days. Oh, and listeners, uh, no guest today, but, uh, you know, stick around. Stick, you know, <laughs> stick yeah, around. Hang in there. They're coming. Fi- find out. We know you're curious. Might it be worth it? <laughs> well, there's only one way to find out. <laughs> Listen all the way through. Listen all the way through. <laughs> Best thing that happened to me. Oh, Aaron, that's such a good question. Okay. Um, I, I feel like... This is very weird, but okay. I like very weird. I've talked about. Oh, he's going for his phone. I've talked about my uh, to do app before. Okay, I think that was a previous. I like it. I'm sure it somewhere was. buried in. It sounds on brand for you. And I did, this wasn't necessarily isolated to the past week, but I want to share. I have a goal. Okay. In this app, you can set goals of completing five tasks <laughs> in a day. Yeah. And my current streak is 46 days. 46 days of completing five tasks yeah. per day. And this, I guess, is not in the last seven days, but it's probably in the last two weeks. I I passed my previous record. So I'm currently setting a new self-record. For those of you who are also wondering about my weekly goals, <laughs> that that translates to 30 tasks a week, which I might I might change that to be more because if I just complete the daily task... Then I of course complete I would complete thirty five tasks. So I'm naturally completing the weekly tasks. So I might up the weekly to forty. Okay. But my current weekly streak is nineteen. But That's, that is not my longest. This is incredible. So really the goals themselves are sub goals of a larger goal, which is to beat previous goals and how many goals you've yeah, completed. Yeah, tragically, I can't check off beating a goal as one of my I guess I could. I could add it to my to-do list okay so uh, just a little bit of basic math this is impressive to me 45 consecutive 47 consecutive days of completing 46 46 yeah take the average of those two guesses that you gave (laughs) okay well precision is very important in this matter so 46 times 5 yep that we're talking 9 no 230 that's that's great that's a lot of goals it's not it's not as impressive 
I don't think I've completed 230 things in my whole life. That's not true. You have, because you have to understand the way it's, it's an approach, right? So it's like everything gets broken down into smaller tasks. Oh, so one of them's like, go to the bathroom. Uh, no, that's not one of my, not no. one of my daily tasks, <laughs> shockingly. <laughs> it's not one of your daily tasks? Well, I mean, it's not in my app. <laughs> For my personal health, okay. there are things that I maintain outside of my tracking, and those don't count as goals. I but guess. I'm very, I'm very pleased to be continuing this streak. This is good, and I partly only thought about this because Rachel was away for most of the weekend, and so oh. a lot of my time was spent looking at my to do to do list and uh, trying to be productive while she was gone, yeah. which I was relatively successful at. Good. So that felt good. How about you? What's the best thing that happened in your past seven days? <clears throat> the best thing that's happened in the past seven days is uh is about to happen right now whoa because it's time for (laughs) that's right everybody it's curious creation a podcast within a podcast matt this Which morning one? on Curious Creation, we are going to learn about the humble hexagon. Okay. I've, should I lower or raise like the pitch of my voice so it's more like you're talking to a bunch of children, <laughs> sort of like this is a science show, you know, on PBS or something like that? Uh, well, this is uh, this podcast within a podcast is all about us being childlike mm-hmm. in our desire for knowledge. Uh, knowledge about this great and grand creation that we live in. Including today, the hexagon. Including today, not just the hexagon, the humble hexagon. <laughs> the humble hexagon. <laughs> Is this going to have anything to do with bees? Oh, might it? Oh, okay. Yeah, so you have hit upon one of the most common hexagons found in nature that we know of. Okay. But it goes deeper than this. Okay, yeah, this is what, I'm here for this. Okay. So I'm going to try to explain this in layman's terms because I am a layman and I watched a couple of videos about this. I read a couple articles. I come armed with paper. So much paper. Um, He's coming very armed with paper these days. I probably didn't need to print this much paper. So I'll, but I'll, I'll do a little bit of, a little bit of reading, but I don't think it's boring reading. I think it's amazing reasons reading. So there are a couple uh, sources for this, but I want you to think about how hexagons appear in nature and you write honey honeycomb that yep. bees make mm-hmm. is one of those examples but why hexagons are you asking me to try to guess well, why don't you well yeah g- g- give me a theory okay just so i have the chance to tell you you're wrong in like a minute so it feels like it might be something structural okay um I feel like I've heard or remember from some physics class or something that the triangle was one of the most, one of the strongest structural oh, okay. uh, shapes. Okay. So I'm drawing a hexagon out of my paper. Okay. There is something kind of, I mean, anything I guess can be broken into a triangle. Okay. So I wonder if it's a, it's a structurally strong shape. Um, I'm trying to think is any other reason that's good that's good you're on the right track okay because a hexagon i'll kind of i'll kind of jump to the summary of a hexagon then we can talk about some examples but a hexagon is the most efficient shape with which to store the most amount of 
area with the smallest perimeter. So in order to do this, you need shapes that tessellate. So tessellate means you can make a pattern of them, like if you picture like a tile floor, mm -hmm. with no space in between. So they have to like line up perfectly. So um, octagons don't, don't tessellate. Pentagons don't tessellate. But there are three shapes that do. Hexagon, triangle, as you hit upon, and square. Wow. Of those three shapes, creation finds the most efficient shape, which is to say you can pack the most stuff in the least amount of perimeter. And the ratio. This, you're saying the ratio of like area to perimeter yes, is, is greatest, the highest. Is the highest the in the hexagon. That is really amazing. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that is really cool. So, uh, you know, I, I shouldn't have expected anything less, but <laughs> you have consistently in both episodes of this podcast within a podcast taken something where I was like, oh, okay, like we'll try to really play this up for the listeners. Yeah. And then giving me a moment where I was like, okay, that is legitimately very interesting. This is what we do here yeah, well on done. Curious Creation Podcast. Wow. So one, one way to do this, one way to easily demonstrate this is if you take, so there's another common uh, shape in nature, which is the circle or the sphere. Mm -hmm. So a, lo a lot of ways, a uh, great way to demonstrate this is with bubbles. So if you take a bubble and you put two next to each other, and then you add a third. So if you can picture like three bubbles like squished together, yep. the angle that the three, they'll make a little triangle. The angle in between is 120 degrees, which is okay. the same angle, that interior angle of hexagon. Hmm. So the more bubbles you add as they get, well, if you picture bubbles all lined up row column with space in between, that's not how they want to be because of sur surface tension. They all want to squish together. And the pattern that they'll form, like if you look at the top of a champagne glass or you can do this with soap bubbles, they will start to tessellate into hexagons and they'll all have that 120. Bubbles will? Yeah. Yeah, when they, when they start to touch each other. Can you visually see this? Like you can see hexagons forming or is this like very small? Or no, has it be very big bubbles you for will you to see, see it? it? You can see it in small bubbles, big bubbles, medium bubbles. With the naked eye. With the naked eye. But it's funny that you mention huh. naked eye because listeners i want you to know i had no idea what we were talking about today so these segues are just organic it's funny that you mentioned naked <laughs> eye because there is a whole family of crystals that are hexagonal huh um any student of science will be quick to point out point to the skeletal formula we we as humans represent organic compounds with hexagons most organic compounds have carbon backbones and uh, when one carbon atom bonds with another carbon atom the bond angle is less than 120 degrees, but when six carbon atoms bond, mm. it's at an even 120. I do. I do have an image of this from uh, from, from the uh, old like chemistry yeah, class. Yep. I wonder. This is very important because okay. people know my love of Superman. Okay. Is a Kryptonian crystal that is the key to the Fortress of Solitude? Is that also a hexagon? It might be. That would suggest that this has transcended even our universe. <laughs> I don't know that that came up in my research, but it's, a, it's an interesting idea. It's shocking to me that for it sure, didn't. For sure. 
Here's another example. Uh, there's a monument in the mountains of California. It's called the Devil's Post Pile. But if you Google images of this, you can see... Oh, well, I'll just tell you. <laughs> just tell us what we can see. <laughs> uh, fewer than 100,000 years ago, a lava flow spawned these odd structures. They're, so they're basalt columns, which are not that uncommon. But what's uncommon is that each column is a hexagon. There's a similar one in uh, Northern Ireland called the Giant's Causeway. So as the lava cooled, it began to shrink, but the shrinkage led to tension, which leads to cracks. And the cracks were then burdened with the tension themselves, so they branched off. And as it turns out, a 120-degree crack releases the most tension. Huh. Which is the hexagon's interior angle. Had all the lava cooled at exactly the same rate, we'd be left with... Uh, perfect hexagonal columns but since it did, did not we got like hexagonal polygons so that's a different thing than the first thing about the bees of the the area to perimeter or is it related it's related in that um there's a theory i think this might be proven but that bees actually make circular um holes at first and then as over time and as the wax melts a little bit, the, what the forces cause the circles to be drawn together. And the oh. most efficient way for them to be drawn together is by a hexagon. That makes a lot of sense because my follow-up question was going to be, how did the bees know this? <laughs> like, who, what kind of bee engineers, high-quality sort of MIT-trained engineers do bee colonies have that that have worked this out? This but. is this is what makes creation so curious. And you know, l- listeners, go ahead and Google some of this stuff. It's very interesting. I'm going to give you two more examples. Oh wow! Okay. One great, and one small. And one small, small one first. Okay. Since we're still on insects, the insects have compound eyes, so they're made up of several little light cells. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the most efficient way for those cells to be organized so that they can take in the most light with the least amount of cell material? between them well we now know that they have to tessellate have to tessellate so they're either square triangle uh-huh or hexagon the humble hexagon <laughs> my friend the humble hexagon here's oh, the last wow. one this one blows my mind on saturn's north pole i told you this would be a bigger example okay there's an enduring cloud formation here's a close-up that lower picture there i so I'm going to describe what I'm seeing. Yeah. The clouds. This is like a picture. I'm seeing a picture of Saturn. Yep. And so this is a huge cloud formation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But the cloud formation, there's kind of a dot in the middle of it. That's the pole. And then there's kind of all kinds of things happening around. Yeah. But then, like, sort of framing all of that is the shape of a dark hexagon. Yeah. So the clouds form in a hexagonal shape? Yeah, on Saturn. What? Yeah. How? If Matt, if you spin a bucket <laughs> of water fast enough, the whirlpool turns into a hexagon. What? <laughs> wow. Snowflakes. Hexagons. Yeah. Wow, the shape is everywhere. This has been Curious Creation. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Curious Church Podcast. So glad to have you back. 
I'm still kind of spinning out in this other podcast. If people want to leave uh, a five-star review for Curious Creation, <laughs> but they're at about a three for Curious Church, <laughs> what would we do? I think we'd recommend they just leave five stars for Curious Church. Round up. Always round up. Round up. Yeah. Round up to the nearest five is what I say for any <laughs> review. Let's uh, get into our curious conversation for today, which is, I'm going to say it, sadly lacking in hexagon <laughs> content. <laughs> I thought you were going to say we're woefully unprepared or something like that. I was like, I have a whole list of questions here. I just had time thinking about this. I feel reasonably prepared. And Matt, you sent out some stuff for us to kind of go over. I, I appreciate it. It's very high quality um, uh, conversation notes, but just just not a single hexagon. Yeah, that's true. Um, so next time it will just be covered in hexagons. Yeah, <laughs> that's for later. Aaron has so much paper <laughs> going on. Uh, I feel bad printing all this stuff. But, oh, I uh, love it. Okay, uh, we're talking today. We're kind of actually going to start a series, a little bit of a series about faith. Have we ever done an intentional series? We've done some unintentional series. I think we've done unintentional. We've definitely done unintentional part ones, part twos. Where we hadn't finished talking about a thing. Or like come back to this kind of weeks later. This might be our first intentional series. Okay, good. Yeah. So that's kind of exciting. Enjoy, listeners. It's a new thing. And remember, there there might be a guest. You don't know until you get to the end. (laughs) So listen through all the way. All the way. So this series, uh, shall I shall I kind of set us up? I'd love it. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. So the series that we're going to be doing is going to be exploring faith, and uh, which, if you've uh, been a Christian for some length of time, might feel pretty rudimentary. But I think one of the things we've always talked about is wanting to explore the curious things about church and uh, the Christian life kind of trying to don some sort of outside glasses. And really, if you think about it, faith is one of the stranger, it's really foundational, but it's also one of the stranger things yeah. as sort of the undergirding um, layer. So we'll have a number of conversations kind of talking about different layers of faith, but this particular conversation, we wanted to explore kind of what what is this thing? What do we mean when we say faith? And so I was curious, curious. This is what we do. Yeah, yeah. this is what we do. Yeah. Like when you think about faith and how, just to start with, like what are ways that you use the term? And so this is a question for you, Aaron, that you use the term in your mind or like, because I, as I was thinking about it, I was like, I feel like I hear faith used in all different ways to mean all different things. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It is a very, it's a very uh, squiggly word. I mean, it's hard <laughs> squiggly. to, <laughs> it's hard to say it, it does feel like it can have different meanings and also feels like one of those words that is a little bit scary because people can kind of take it um, and abuse it or use it for ill, right? Oh, or yeah. maybe sort of, uh, we don't necessarily have to get into this or maybe we'll get into it next episode, but where uh, you, 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 you want it, you assume everyone's on the same page, but people, it can have all these different meanings for different people. Right. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, if we're talking about kind of defining it a little bit up front. 
Yeah, or even just like, I mean, there's, we could offer a definition, but it's helpful maybe to articulate just people sometimes use faith to talk about um, like just Christianity in general. Yeah. Like, uh, I have. He's a person of faith. Yeah, a person person of faith. faith. Well, even then, they're maybe meaning something a little like another layer of it. Okay. Okay. But I'm thinking, I I was thinking more of, like I think in the Church of England, there are people who, and maybe this is in Catholic Church too, but there are people who have the title Defender of the Faith. Or maybe this was one of the kings oh, who was wow. the head of the Church of England. Okay. And so there, like the framework is like, particularly it just stands in, like it's essentially mean like Defender of Christianity. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But then people talk about faiths like in very general way, like, oh, there are all these people of different faiths in which faith doesn't mean different Christianities. Right. It means different religions. Right. And so faith essentially means some form of religion. Then there are people, so sort of zooming in that back into within sort of Christian world, people will sometimes talk about faith as sort of a series of doctrinal positions that you hold to, like sort of boxes that you check. So to have faith, to believe, is to believe X, Y, and Z about Jesus or about the church or about how God works in the world. And that's what faith is. And then there are people who see faith in a different way. And then some people who just like use the word in all different ways, all different times, right? which is kind of... So I think it's just kind of an interesting thing. I don't think that's... That doesn't seem like it's necessarily a bad thing. But it does seem like it could potentially be a confusing thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it seems like, it feels like faith is one of those things that as a, as a Christ follower, we all automatically have. And we all have all of it. Like it's measurable and we're there 100% all the time. You've, you're saying that this feels like the assumption. This feels like the this make. feels like the assumption. That's right. sort of like yeah, the level. Well, it strikes me as you say that that that's sort of like the the higher level conversation definition of faith. Yeah. Where like faith is maybe Christianity. So if you're a Christian, then you have faith. Right. And then it trickles down and kind of is influencing all these other definitions. Yeah. In some ways. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but you were gonna you're gonna offer us kind of some some definitional framing you're going to define the word for all of us in this moment (laughs) forever and ever amen well i i do we've we've got some resources here from people much smarter than me uh and much more experienced at this than i i call them guests in absentia guests in absentia that's good all we need is their words we don't need them to actually be in the room uh but one 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 of the kind of framing questions was how do we personally tend to think about faith and uh i I admit that I my personal uh, idea of faith gets like puts me on the defensive a little bit right away. Oh, um, maybe it's the Calvinist in me, but I need to. I there's there's a little bit of a a, a fallacy that you can't have faith and reason at the same time. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, I'm a person of faith, and what I think non-believers would assume all kinds of things about me oh, yeah. as a person if I say that about myself. Yeah. So from, from my, one of the ways I feel like I need to come 
define it, and that, it's not our main goal is to define faith, but it's one sure. of the things that will help the conversation, is uh, to have faith, but also be a person who's thoughtful, you know, and, and with, a, with a brain and a, a strong, I think, very strong brain. <laughs> Hexagonally shaped. Uh, oh man, you should see the hexagons inside <laughs> this thing. Well, that, that's. I mean, that's really fascinating. Kind of instinctive response, isn't it? It's, uh, I don't know if it's healthy or not, but I, I think what's happened is there's the sort of secular world has decided that people of faith are think one way, and people who wouldn't define themselves as people of faith think another way. So are you saying like you find yourself kind of instinctively buying that definition? And so that's why you, because even in what you were saying there, I noticed like you were separating, which I mean, there's a long tradition of separating and bringing together in different ways, reason and faith. Right. But you were sort of saying like, I want, I, I want people to know like, yeah. like I have this side of me. Right. Like I have this more... other, like I might say I'm a person of faith, <laughs> but I have this other like very rational side. Don't yeah. worry. <laughs> like, I think what I want to say, what I would want to tell these people is being a person of faith encompasses much more than they might think yeah. that it would. So yeah, this is, look, this is my own personal no. thing that I'm dealing with. It's helpful. Cause I imagine there's lots of listeners who kind of feel very similarly. Right. I think so so maybe for me to share personally, which is kind of an interesting flip side, I my instinct with faith is to tend to think about the things that you believe propositionally. So the things that you believe are true. So do you believe God exists? Well, if you check that box off, you have faith. Of oh some yeah, kind. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then like there's like kind of deepening do I believe Jesus is the son of God? You know, and you kind of deepen into a place that maybe the Apostles' Creed helps give us some shape of like, oh, this person has Christian faith. Sure. But I tend to think about it propositionally, which then, um, ironically, uh, talking about this reason conversation, I tend to tend to try to access that rationally. Oh, yeah. If this yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So, so, like, I might think, okay, like, I'm curious about various philosophical arguments for the existence of God. I, when I think about the resurrection, do I believe in the resurrection? I tend to think about the rational reasons why right. the resurrection yeah. is true. So faith. Uh, it's like you have a, an app, like a goal app for, for <laughs> it's faith. Like, it's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Checking the boxes. Of, yeah. Kind of, which like, I, I would say um, there are things that are helpful in that, but I, I actually maybe feel that is maybe unhelpful. I think that's got to be super common yeah, in, in, right. in the church. Well, I think particularly because it is, well, depending on your personality, like for my personality who likes kind of order and systems and like being able to kind of, um, well, frankly, be right about things. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like the rationality, like rationalizing faith in these ways allows it to sort of transfer to other people. Okay. Does this make sense? Yeah. Like, oh, like, oh, you don't believe this. Well, you're wrong. Yeah. You know, rather, That's okay. Rather than it being... I'll help you be right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. Can, here I am. I'm willing <laughs> to give you some arguments, you know. Um, rather than sort of something that becomes inaccessible to me, right? Like, um, and this is one of the challenges of a world that is increasingly predicated on experience, I think, where people hmm. are sort of like, well, this is my experience of faith. Hmm. And so then, like, that... Frankly, like I can't access like what your experience of faith necessarily is in any particular way, nor can I, like I can't really say 
uh, I think the community can help us understand like right and wrong experiences, but right. um, I can't necessarily rationally sort of lay out your experience, right? It's just yeah. something unique. For me, one of the resources, this is maybe to segue us a little bit, but part of the reason that I thought this whole series might be helpful is because I found my own paradigm, that particular kind of pretty rationalistic paradigm, which I don't know that I would have even expressed in those terms, Right. pretty confronted as I've been reading um, Donald Blesch, I think is how you pronounce his name. Okay. Uh, he wrote this Essentials of Evangelical Theology, and he's a pretty winsome uh, a writer who is seeking to, well, like get to the essentials. Okay, I think, um, but he started talking about faith, and he had this. He has this chapter in his book about faith that started talking a lot more about, um, well, kind of that experiential aspect, like that trust aspect. And honestly, as I read it, I was just like, wait. <laughs> What? <laughs> like, so he he tell, he tell me more. Yeah, he offers this definition. So, faith might de be defined as a radical commitment of the whole man to the living Christ, a commitment that entails knowledge, trust, and obedience. And so, like I think, like of that definition, the place where I naturally have landed, kind of in my own journey, is like knowledge. <laughs> so it's like you know i i go to school i go to a christian university and i study bible and theology and then i go and get a graduate degree mm -hmm. and this is this is kind of one of the pitfalls probably that they tell you always and it's um but you you tend to just think in categories and you think theologically and you want to have right theology and you see right. the value of that and it's trumpeted as being valuable and so it's like but suddenly I realize, oh, I feel like maybe my definition of faith has grown like somewhat truncated. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm curious about like how that definition strikes, strikes you, Aaron. Well, I think we're, I think we're kind of on, we're talking almost about the same thing. And that is that like a well-educated theologian might have the same struggle where they sort of compartmentalize their, all their training and all their knowledge about faith it's almost like the knowledge about faith and then the application of the faith itself like you yeah i, th I still hear in you a dichotomy between f knowing a lot yeah. and having faith and it does seem like it does seem like there is a dichotomy yeah which is maybe maybe is that good or bad i don't know well because someone can know a lot you can know a lot of things about what Christians believe and not believe any of them. Yes. I guess you you can't believe a lot of things Christians believe yeah. and like not be a part of that community in yeah. some ways. Yeah. Right? So there is a difference between knowledge and belief. Like knowing about versus believing something. One of our thinkers uh, that you quoted here, our guests in absentia, <laughs> is that what we said earlier? Yeah. <laughs> was uh, Bernard of Clairvaux. This guy must be, this is going back a ways, right? Yeah, mi mi Middle Ages, middle somewhere ages. there. I believe though I do not comprehend and I hold by faith what I cannot grasp with my mind. So I think maybe, I think maybe one of the foundations of how we think of faith is this idea that we don't know what we don't know. 
So this helps me reconcile my my love of knowledge and of learning, um, you know, biblical learning and otherwise, uh, by thinking about the idea that I don't. There's if I had if I knew this. Okay, okay. Let me back up. So I'm going sure. back to curious creation a little bit and thinking. Oh, isn't this fascinating? We know all this stuff about hexagons and how they appear in nature. Well, there's not only do we not know about all the hexagons on Earth, we don't know about what's the hexagons in space and in all of creation. So it's, I think this pursuit of knowledge is a little bit, although I love it and it helps us appreciate uh, God's good work, it's a little bit of a folly because mm. at some point you have to give up <laughs> on on this pursuit be, and you're going to have to learn to trust which i think is a huge element of faith yeah uh so i so i i this this quote from uh bernard resonated with me because i think i think the i think we have to come to terms with the idea that while knowledge is good there's more there's more almost to learn like faith is almost a part of learning in some ways like that that, that we trust that the world is going to work as we expect it to work is that's a different kind of faith. It's not necessarily yeah. Christian faith, but uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know exactly where I'm going, but I'm trying to say that we have to, at some point, jump off the knowledge train or at least have mm -hmm. one leg only on it. And this is an analogy where there are two trains for some reason going <laughs> parallel and you're on both of them at the same time. But I, th I think the healthiest way to think of it is have one leg on that knowledge train with most of your rest of your body on the faith train <laughs> and hope they continue at the same speed <laughs> indefinitely <laughs> you know i like the analogy i like i like the i like the image that this is created okay, good yeah uh i mean it's so that's now i'm kind of obsessed with the trains oh, because yeah. some people might say well at some point are you leaving the knowledge train and jumping like literally the leap of faith? Like Kierkegaard talks about this, the leap oh. of faith that you have to take. Like at some point, like there's a gap that you cannot cross without sort of, without some form of this kind of trusting faith. Oh boy. Yeah. I, I need a new thought. I need yep. to go in a new direction. All right. I can get, we us have there, to get off. The, we have to get off the train. Well, the let me, train. let me back up to the trains and then transition okay. us out of the trains. Okay. I mean, I, one of the one of the questions that I that this brings up for me, uh, this analogy of the trains and yeah, people so apt. you know straddling these trains is <laughs> so whether that's how you, we all ride trains whether you <laughs> straddle the two trains indefinitely or whether there is in fact this moment kind of where you where you leap. Um, one of the kind of interesting, I mean, in some sense, I'm just dragging like you and all the listeners along my own journey. Yes, yeah. I think about this. We're dragging uh, behind your so, train. Yeah, be, be dragged along. Um, but like I was thinking even this morning about what it means to have faith in someone. So faith okay. as relationship. Yeah. Because like if I start thinking what it means, so like even like what does it mean for me to have faith in Aaron? That really doesn't mean to me or to that anyone, was, that I felt think. powerful just now. You <laughs> saying that, like I felt a burden oh, wow. of yeah, yeah of responsibility. But what it doesn't mean is that I believe you exist, right? Like that's not like no one is going to interpret if I say, oh no, like I really have faith in Aaron. Yeah. People aren't like, oh, like good, like he believes that Aaron exists. Yeah, like, he's not crazy. <laughs> uh, it probably like it. It might mean that I believe some things about your character. Okay, 
that like that's probably true, okay. right? To yeah. say that I have faith in you, uh, but really, it me- I think fundamentally it means relationally, like I trust you, right? Right? Like I trust that you'll come through in whatever way I might need, or in ways that are true to you that are helpful for me. Yeah, you know. So, and that that I think that framing of like, um, like what it means to have faith in someone is really helpful because. Well, like the Christian faith is about having faith in someone, yeah, right? Yeah. It's not, it's not sort of an arbitrary floating out there person. Kierkegaard, uh, this is Blesch highlights Kierkegaard. He, uh, he says, uh, the object of faith is not the teaching, but the teacher. And then Blesch adds, we need to remind ourselves that the object of faith is not a doctrinal formula, but a living person, Jesus Christ. Right. Which means probably that I mean, I believe some things about Jesus, but ultimately, like if, like just if I say I have faith in you, like I don't have faith in people I don't know, really. Right, right. Uh, and that there's kind of this relational dynamic. Does that, does that resonate? Does yeah, that, yeah. That's been a helpful kind of different access point for me. Right, right. And that might help us get more... Yeah, that might help us get off this the train conversation into <laughs> <laughs> into into where we need to be in terms of uh, faith in Christ. You you act you asked an interesting question um, in kind of our notes here. We did a sermon series on Acts here at Granite Springs, mm. kind of over the summer, and we talked about some of the the early apostles, and I, which are I, th- I think great examples of faith because we don't know. We know what we know what they believe in so much as they expressed it in scripture. Right. But I think where it comes down to it is we know what they did and how they acted mm-hmm. in those stories from Acts. So we have a pretty good idea of what faith should be like that's modeled pretty clearly for us. Like mm-hmm. um like Barnabas, right? Where generosity is sort of how his faith manifested itself. Right. Or um uh Stephen Mm-hmm. was stu- like a, one of the first martyrs, maybe the first martyr, yeah. where, again, his actions demonstrated that he was a person of faith. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things that's so interesting about thinking about the early church is they don't have the doctrinal formulations yet. Yeah. They don't have the Nicene Creed. Right. So They didn't do a m- bunch of years of seminary. We can be pretty confident that they weren't articulating like, the doctrine of the Trinity as we have it today. Yeah. Now, I think we can also be confident that they weren't contradicting it, but they didn't have that language. They didn't have that formulation because the church is still arguing about it. So if the apostles had it, you figure (laughs) they just would have told someone, here's how to think about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how Jesus interacts with that, and then we're done. Like, we're kind of set. Yeah. Uh, But the reason that these people seemed willing is, like, it's relational. Like, we've seen Jesus over and over. Like we've seen Jesus. We believe what he told us. Like we have witnessed this. We have relationship with him. And then people, I think, I wonder if part of the reason sort of Christianity has this kind of infectious beginning where it's like, you know, people start talking about Jesus and suddenly like thousands are like, we're in. Right. Is because like you're trusting someone who has relationship. Yeah. Right. That there's sort of this deep relational network that's being created. Right. And I think even, like, even when, when you think about interacting with other Christians, like, you always, 
um, there's always something different about interacting with someone who you know has deep lived experience of God. Mm. Mm. Um, like I think, I mean, and everyone's story is different, right? But when I encounter someone who just like the way they talk is like there's kind of a, there's a comfort, there's a relational knowledge of God that's just kind of going throughout their conversation. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is, like this is kind of what faith looks like. Right. It seems. Right. So what do you think about this idea? Um, going back to this definition, a radical commitment, this idea of commitment to Jesus. And maybe we'll talk more about this because we'll have a future conversation about doubt and the place of faith. But um, like the idea of faith being able to be boiled down to commitment. Mm -hmm. Like what does that do to like the box checking <laughs> nature of oh, me? Boy. You know? Yeah, that's a big box. It's a long box. It's like an eternal box. Yeah, that's like it seems more challenging and simpler. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. What were what were some what were the elements uh that you talked about, Faith? So it's commitment. Yeah, so so Blesh defines it as a radical commitment of the whole man to the living Christ, a commitment that entails knowledge, trust, and obedience. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Do so we the, do we do we have a beef with any of those three things? <laughs> knowledge trust and obedience obedience well i just think um any framework that reduces faith to knowledge like starts to leave those out right yeah so like yeah. any or and maybe that's true to i mean i'm kind of coming from maybe a tendency of viewing faith as knowledge so then the others are helpful kind of kind of counterbalances but it might be true too for someone who sees faith as only trust yeah that if the, if you start to reduce faith, then you start to lose, and like, um, because they're organically related. Is is the knowledge is a, lot, a big part of the knowledge the knowledge of what we're trusting in? I mean, it must be, yeah. right? Like, like it it is senseless for me to say I have faith in you without knowing some things about you. Yeah, like I wouldn't meet a stranger and say, right? Oh, like. Like here, take the keys to my car and bring it back in two hours. Like I have faith in you. No worries. That would be blind faith, right. maybe. Yeah, yeah which yeah, is sure. maybe faith. With, I know that's not necessarily hmm. a theological term, but faith without, without the without knowledge of yeah. what you believe in. I hadn't thought about blind faith, but yeah. In a way, in a way, faith already is kind of blind because you are giving yourself to some. There's some element of the unknown in faith. Or is there not? Oh, man, that's a really good question, Aaron. I mean, this goes back in some ways to Bernard and that quote that you read earlier. I believe, though I do not comprehend, and I hold by faith what I cannot grasp with my mind. Uh, I think maybe if I was to dig into that quote a little bit more, like, there's one version of that where we understand it as, I believe, though I do not know, and I hold by faith what I cannot understand. But that's not the language he uses. He uses or this translation, because yeah. he's likely writing another language, like this idea of comprehension. So I wonder if it's like faith goes beyond sort of being able to encompass or fully grasp something. Like we cannot, we cannot grasp God. Right. Like either, well, either literally <laughs> or even like metaphorically. Like yeah. there's a sense in which our, our minds, our abilities are not, are not robust enough to, 
take hold of him and sort of turn him around and see him from all facets. So there's always a piece of us that I think is true, like what you're saying, like we kind of move a little bit blindly. But then I think you're right at the same time, like the Christians believe that that same God who we couldn't possibly grasp kind of made himself graspable in some ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So that we could have some... It would be foolish for us to say we fully understand God and we understand his sacrifice and the plans he has for us. Right. Because that's all, that's all a mystery. Yeah. So there is faith going into, I mean, every day we, mm-hmm. we sort of are, are trusting yeah. something or someone. Right. Yeah. So it's both. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's like, it is, this is where a uh, framing of faith as relational becomes so important. Yeah. Because you, and this is like, this happens in the Psalms too, right? Like, or anywhere in scripture, really. Yep. Like, you are forming faith and you are forming trust based on what you know God has done in the past. Yeah. And so, which is how any relationship is formed. Like, any trust in relationship is based on a track record of you have proved to be here faithfully. Right. If you think about someone you know who is like always late to a meeting. Yeah. Like you don't expect them to ever be on time, <laughs> right? Like at some point after three or four times, you're just like, oh, well. I like, have faith that they'll be late. Th- yeah, this is just who they are. <laughs> like, I, the, and, uh, but it's based on the way that they have kind of revealed, literally revealed themselves That's to really you. That's really good, Matt. That's over, really good. Over time. I feel like we're winding down, but I'm not sure, I'm not sure where we went. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like we went on a little bit of a journey, a faith journey, so yeah, to speak, yeah. um, with ebbs and flows that I think a real faith journey has. Um, well, do you want to do a couple of kind of quick, quick takeaways? Yeah, let's do it. Things? Let's do that. Um, I'm happy to go first. I think uh, for me, this relational framing of faith as not discarding knowledge, but as fuller than that is really helpful and worth kind of exploring and thinking about. And then kind of maybe the flip side, the orienting question or why I think this episode, even though we haven't necessarily come to like strong conclusions is valuable is uh, it's really worth thinking about this word that we kind of bandy about so much and what it means for us to have faith. Cause we don't all mean the same thing when we say it. Um, and one thing we didn't even get, get into is like the biblical use of kind of faith. Like when Paul says justified by faith, like, what does that, yeah, like we, that, this we probably should have gotten, gotten, this, gotten right? into this a little bit more. Well, there, there'll be more opportunity. Okay. Okay. So th- those may be a couple of takeaways. How about yeah, you? That's good. Um, I, I'm just going to quick touch on my friend Calvin again, because he talks about this balance of faith and knowledge. Mm. And uh, I, I think we should think about faith as uh, supplementing uh, our knowledge and our experience and our relationships. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I think so. I'm, I was not, trying to I'm think, not totally sure it did. I was trying to think in, your defin- in what you were saying, whether it was um, knowledge and faith or knowledge and trust, and whether faith incorporates both. In I its think that's. Fullness. I think that's. I think that's a better way to think of so it. So trust without knowledge yeah. is just as damaging as knowledge without trust. Yeah, and it's really the two of them together. Yeah, that's good. That's better. Help us form faith. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> don't don't just forget mine. <laughs> you listeners, you won't even have to forget it. You I've already cut it, cut it out. out. I've already cut it out. 
<laughs> well, I had faith that this episode would uh, would turn out okay, and uh, we'll see if that we'll see how the track record bears that out. <laughs> no, if our relationship with you, listener, it was stimulating for me anyway. Yeah, well, it's good good to think about these things yeah. and talk about them. We're not here for answers, listeners. We're here to give you more questions to think about. So you're welcome. Well, uh, let's uh, let's say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, dear listeners. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you... Oh, by the way, sorry, no guest today. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Maybe next time. Maybe. Until then, this is Aaron. This is Matt. Thanks for being curious with us. Thank you.